All right, well, so welcome back to It's Still Good on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. We're so glad to be back with you, and uh, I'm here today with our co-hosts, Jason and Dan, who are uh, leading alongside me as we have these conversations, talking about Sunday morning, talking about last Sunday, and we're going to be talking about the message as we go forward. But something I want to get into first, because, uh, you know, Jason led us through some thinking about family today, so I was thinking... Uh, and this wasn't like the whole thing or the only thing I thought about, but I started thinking about family lunch. What is your favorite Sunday? You know, Sunday family dinner was kind of a big deal for us. What's your favorite Sunday dinner? What'd you have today, first of all? What'd you have for lunch? Zaxby's. Okay, so that's probably not your favorite. So <laughs> what is your what is your favorite Sunday lunch? What's your, uh, growing up or, or since you've been married, whatever. I mean, don't, don't get yourself in trouble. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> careful, careful. Uh, pretty much my kids know we're either going to Bono's, Sunny's, or it uh, used to be Moe's, but they don't do free kids on Sunday. Mm. So they're uh, off yeah, the list yeah, now. Yeah. All right. um, no but worries. yeah, mostly we do eating out just because to go home and then have to cook and everything like that. It's two o'clock by the time we're starting yeah. to eat. Okay. So uh, yeah, and then, and then like growing up though, we never did Sunday dinner at all because we had evening services. And so we would eat lunch, but then come home after services late in the evening and smash down like a bowl of cereal. Mm, there you go. And yeah. that was it. Yeah. yeah. So healthy, healthy meal. Healthy stuff. Yes. Healthy well meal. Balanced. Yeah. Milk, milk and grain. Yeah. All right, Dan, what so you have for lunch today? Today was Maple Street, which yeah. which is unusual. Yeah, okay. We don't normally okay. do that on on Sunday, but it was it was good. They've been wanting to do Maple Street for a couple of weeks now, okay. and yeah, uh, they started opening, I guess, after Cracker Barrel took them over. I started, guess, yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, home home cook cooking is kind of our our thing. We love to go to Cracker Barrel when we lived uh, closer to one. Yeah. Um, some of our biggest ones now are or Sunnies or Bonos, um, PDQ. But man, my favorite Sunday lunches were growing up were, were the crock pot uh, mm-hmm. meals, mm-hmm. where mostly roast mm-hmm. uh, crock pot roast mm-hmm. with yep. potatoes and and carrots, and coming home and opening that that door when you got home from church and smelling that yeah. that good food. So yeah. well, you know, they say that uh, where two or more Baptists have gathered, a chicken must die. You know, <laughs> I think that uh, chickens used to be the kind of the standard fare for, or kind of you know recently been the standard fare for. For Sunday dinners, when I was growing up, as roast. Okay, I, my mom used to make this really great pot roast. You know, roast in the in the big thing that took like ten hours to cook, and potatoes and carrots, mm. and man, it was just so good. Uh, my wife, however, made a roast that she marinated in vinegar and coffee. Whoa, that sounds like vinegar <laughs> and coffee. Now I know some people don't like coffee. I was listening to a comment last week by our. Southern Baptist Convention President Bart Barber, who said that coffee is bitter water for bitter people <laughs> drunk in bitter times. Wow. He doesn't like coffee. Now, I like coffee. Okay, I so I'm coffee. thinking something cooked in coffee's got to win. You know, so it's coffee and vinegar, and you'd think, yeah, mm-hmm. that wouldn't really work out well. It was amazing. It was yeah. really, really good. Uh, my favorite roast ever is just so good. Coffee and, and vinegar. Coffee and vinegar. I might have to try it Yeah, now. it's really, you really be careful. Good. You're going to start craving it now. I am. I'm not chasing it. I left over Indian food for lunch today. So, yeah, I'm, I need something else in my mouth besides, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, ah, tasting it. We're going to roll back into uh, some conversation about Titus chapter 2. 
uh, verses 1 through 10. Dan, uh, won't you read that for us? Just uh, sure. go ahead and just read the, through the text for us real quick. So, uh, so it says, Titus uh, chapter 2. We start at verse 1, but really kind of verse yeah. 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. All right, very good. All right, so Jason, we're going to kind of let you be. This was this was your message so uh, this week, so we're going to let you kind of be the expert on Titus two, <laughs> oh one boy. through ten. So we'll we'll defer to you on expert opinions as we go forward. So uh, keep your Greek, mm-hmm. uh, keep your logos open, or okay. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we'll, no, no, we'll we'll. Uh, but but anyway, first of all, let me let me just ask you: Was there like one big thing that you thought, man? I wish I had time to really. Yeah, so, you know, I I went with the family model, but, you know, that, you know, in Crete, most of these, most of these Christians were coming out of their families in order to really become part of the church. And so they were having to somewhat sever ties with their community because, I mean, to, to be part of the community of Crete, you had to participate in the local culture and customs and things, which were all very, like, decadent. And so a lot of these Christians... You know, it's somewhat in the home, but this could just as easily apply to just making disciples on a personal level, you know, gentlemen with younger gentlemen and raising them up to be followers of Jesus. And so I took the family route um, today because I just felt like it was poignant and it, and it worked well, but it could easily work with, you know, everybody in the church should be a disciple maker. You know, every, every individual should have a group of men and women, you know, whether it's, you know, guys with guys, women with women, and spending time together actually making disciples for Christ. And I didn't really get into, like, disciple-making strategies or things like that, um, but that was something that we really could have leaned into um, because a lot of, a lot of the, the, you know, when he talks about being a slanderer, like, that's, that's what Cretans were known for, is this kind of behavior. Yeah. And so they're having to dramatically shift a lot of these new Christians from a very uh, worldly, carnal background yeah. to a Christian background. That's a slow process. Um, and, and I, I kind of wanted to lean into that more, but, you know, I kind of was moving a little too fast to yeah. get into all those. Well, I could, I could tell you needed more time, which is... Uh, Common frustration, I yeah. think, when you pre- especially in when you're when we're really trying to do text-driven expository preaching. There's just mm-hmm. so much that comes out of yeah. it, and you could go here, you go there. Um, let me let me talk for just a moment. You know, uh, one of the things that Nick and Ruth Ripkin taught me uh, when when they when they see Muslim people, Muslim background people, 
come to Christ. Um, and they genuinely believe. They're genuine believers. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're living out their faith in some ways, but they are still, for example, they're still living under the model of, of Islamic marriage, mm-hmm. which is really, really uh, belittling of women and mm-hmm. just, I mean, there's so many unhealthy aspects of that. And the problem they were having, he was telling me, the problem they had is they would see these people come, which is great. You know, you're excited that they become Christians, but... At the same time, he said their marriages weren't saved. Mm-hmm. Think about that phrase for a moment. You know, mm-hmm. Their marriage didn't get saved. They, they, they did, mm-hmm. but their marriage is still lost. Their marriage is still living out of a different paradigm. Out of a different, different framework. Culture. So he said what we found we had to do was find Christian couples, Christian families that would say, would you let these people come and live with you for a little while? Mm-hmm. Would you live in their life? Now, these are different kind. I mean, this is a different culture, different context. Yeah. Here, I mean, I'm thinking if we'd say that now, there would be all kinds of alarm bells that would go off. But, you know, the problem is, you know, they, they were just saying the only way we can get their marriage saved, which they needed to have done, yeah. is to say, let's put you with a Christian family yeah. and let you watch them. Mm-hmm. Now, that's discipleship. Yep. That's also really scary because think about it. If your marriage is the model of Christian marriage that your neighborhood sees right now, what do they see? Mm. If we put somebody in your house and said, "Live with, uh, live, you know, you go in, and you can live with the Elkins for, you know, for the next two months," what would they see when they come to the end of that two months? Would they go, "Oh, I know how to do this now," yeah. or would they go? I don't know what that was, but I don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the problem is we're not, you know, are we are we even modeling for people right. mm-hmm. what they, you know, what we say they need to be seeing? I'm amazed when I, as I'm doing couples counseling, at how many people, even church background, people that grew up in church, people that have a strong, deep bench in, in Baptist life or Christian life, when you ask them a direct question, tell me what you know. They, I ask them, you know, do you have a Christian? You, you know, do you believe you have a Christian marriage? Oh yeah, we're both Christians. Hmm. Uh, no, but do you have a Christian marriage? Oh yeah, we go to church. No, do you have a Christian marriage? Well, we pray together at dinner. No, do you have a Christian marriage? Yeah. Well, what do you mean? You know, and that's when you open up Ephesians five and you go this. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this what your marriage looks like? Is this the model of marriage that you're living with? And and so, you know, the question is, and, and this is going back into Titus, I think the centerpiece of this whole text is the verse where Paul says, Titus, make sure you're living what you're preaching. Mm-hmm. Make sure that, that your behavior mm-hmm. is following behind what you're teaching. And I think this is where we fall short. This is where we miss the mark. This is where we blow it because even in our homes, we can, we can put together a family devotion plan and read the Bible and do these things, but if we're not living it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's definitely what came out. I mean, I came in expecting this morning, you know, Titus 2. Like, I've, I've heard about Titus 2. I think Titus 2 has been used for you know, justifying discipleship models for decades. Um, and so I, I appreciate the, the view from the home. I think 
I think what we have to see here is that this passage applies, you know, to all believers in some form or another or in many ways, right? When when he when Paul says older and younger men, older and younger women, he doesn't he doesn't signify what age yeah. an older man is or what age a younger woman is. And so I think for any believer when you look at this passage, it, you know, you, you can put yourself in either category. Are you a younger man? wanting an older man to help encourage you and lead you? Are you, do you identify as a younger one, you know, woman? Okay. I'm getting a little, a little, a little scary here. Does the person listening to this identify themselves as a younger woman and they're looking for an older person? But ultimately, yes, this happens in the home because it needs to happen everywhere. Yeah, It needs to happen everywhere that there is discipleship taking place among believers um, living out what we are preaching in all facets of life, and the home is a great place to to camp out this you know this morning in the sermon because that's where we spend the majority of our time. Yeah. But where can we be mentoring people or being mentored by others in in our life in all areas? Yeah, and you know we've had this conversation before. Um, you know to to do something like this, especially as pastors. It's a little bit outside of our metric of how do we say, okay, I'm making disciples. I used to, in my ministry, say, well, on Wednesday nights when I'm preaching, I'm making disciples. Or or in a small group that I've organized and I've got a teacher, I'm, I'm making disciples. I've had a shift in my last you know, few years now where you say, okay, give me a list of disciples. It's names. And then it's the names of the people that they've discipled. And I've spent personal, intentional time with them let them into my home. I think that's why it says that a pastor has to be hospitable because that's really how it's got to be done. It's got to be done in my home for them to actually see me because the, yeah. you can lie, you know, and lots of pastors have on Sunday morning behind a pulpit. Mm-hmm. You can't really lie too much behind your front door. Right. I mean, they're going to come and find you. And so aligning the schedule up to spend time with young men, um, and now I do it with my wife, so now it's young couples, um, who I've got a couple right now, he's headed into ministry, and we come and we talk. And it's it's fun because he's asking all the questions that, you know, we asked at one point, like, how'd you know? And what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And a lot of it's like, I don't know, we're still figuring it out, kind of on the journey. Um, but having that time that we've devoted to them is, it's a big commitment. But at the same time, I'm beginning to realize that's really where discipleship happens. It doesn't happen, you know, in the large group setting. So. Well, I think, you know, I think we need to broaden out and broad brush the, the definition of repentance, too. You know, repentance, usually we tie that into conversion. Mm-hmm. And uh, repentance means stop doing bad things. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and start doing good things, which is, which is great. That's a fair definition, but it's not a complete one. The complete definition of repentance is adopt a new paradigm. Mm-hmm. Becoming a Christian is a paradigm shift. It is a complete renovation of your thought. It's a complete change from I was thinking this way about it, now I've got to think this way. What we, what we fail to see, I think, because we are living in it, and this is just one of those things where, you know, sometimes new eyes can come in and see stuff that we mm-hmm. don't see. But what we don't see with new eyes is how hard it is for people the more the culture turns against Christianity proper mm-hmm. and Christian thought, I had a conversation with a gentleman after church, you know, Sunday about this issue. You know, how 
how do you how do you communicate these things to a, to a young couple who who just are mm-hmm. completely turn in a different direction on this? But again, there there has to be, and I think Jesus, I think you know the Spirit coming and becoming a Christian and, and turning, you know, our our willingness to open our hearts and go, okay, I'm ready. For, I, I want that new paradigm in my life. I want to, I mm-hmm. want that. But living that out and figuring out how do you do that, you know, and, and we think that, well, if people just sit out there, you know, you guys work with students, if, if there are students that are just sitting out in the auditorium watching you, it's kind of like saying, listen, I'm going to teach you how to play piano, listen to me play. Yeah, that's not going to work. Okay, they can listen all day long, they can listen for, you know, 48 hours, but they're still not going to know how to play piano when, they're, when you're done. Because you didn't show them. You didn't bring them into, okay, so here's how this gets done. Here's what this looks like. Mm-hmm. So how do we make that jump? You know, there has to be a somewhere a change in our thinking about how do we go at people who are supposed to, we're, we're, and we're beating them up for not living in the new paradigm. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, we're not showing them how to do it. Right. And, and guys, you know, it's not automatic. People no. don't just automatically go, oh, yeah. You know, you, you can't go from having a terrible model of, of childhood marriage and parenting and then suddenly you become this wonderful Christian parent that knows how to do everything. You know, you just don't unless there's a bridge. Some, there has to be a bridge. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to create a bridge for you to cross over. Yeah. And you have to go, yeah, I see what that looks like. I know, I know now how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know. Well, well, I mean, and like something else that we've not done to the help of our church members is that we've focused too much on thresholds, spiritual thresholds. Like, okay, once you get to this point and you've done this thing, then okay, Mm -hmm. good, you're you're good, and you move on, or you've reached a completion point or something like that. Versus, it's more like, like you said, the 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 centrality of your life has to be overshadowed by Christ, and everything, as you said, becomes a paradigm shift. Well, that's. It is immediate, but it's also a long process. And so, you know, as we learn more about ourselves and about the Holy Spirit and His guidance in us, you know, we're constantly in a state of growth. That's kind of how you know that you're still, you know, alive and a Christian because the Spirit is still moving you toward the likeness of Christ. And so I think part of it is like, you know, we can get, let's say, a new couple. They can have, you know, a paradigm shift, and for them it feels huge, but just wait till they have kids. Now they have a new paradigm oh, shift yeah. they yeah, have to accomplish. Changing. If he switches careers, a new paradigm shift may have to mm-hmm. move because this is just a constant renewal, you know, for Christians. And so that's that's something where I wish, you know, we could have gotten into. I mean, of course, it's got all the little details of what yeah. these people are like. And I was like, you know, we can get into that. But mm-hmm. um, I just really didn't feel like that was probably the most appropriate Oh, place. I saw what you leapfrogged over. I uh, know. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw one. No, I, but, you know, I think you're right. I think it would have sidebar. I think, you know, where you went was a, was the place that needed to go. Uh, I will tell you, as an older person sitting there uh, and an older pastor, uh, I could not have said with the same impact that you guys could what what was said today. I could have said it, but it would have almost sounded condescending to do that. Hmm. You know, what you said when you said, you know, hey, old people, you're valuable. Hey, I felt that. I thought, hmm. 
I mean, that that helped me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I want that that really encouraged me. I'm again, an old person. again, the word is you know, older person. Oh, older. I'm so I'm yeah. so older. Well, okay, <laughs> I, I, being one. Okay, but you know, it it was an encouraging thing for me. It's challenging to me. I thought, you know, that was good. And I was watching people, especially in the second service, mm-hmm. which we all know is our little bit older yeah. service. You know, we have more older people in there, and uh, and I was watching them listen. I'm standing in the back watching them listen. I'm going, man, they were really tuned into that. So mm. they don't hear that very often. They don't hear it enough. And mm. I think you empowered that generation to go, maybe, you know, I'm not done. Yeah. You know, because there is a lot of that thought of, yeah. you know, I'm retiring, I'm out of this. You guys, you know, good luck with all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do we what do we do to help encourage people to to live this out? Because I think, again, people will be listening to this on Tuesday or mm-hmm. Wednesday yeah, or whenever yeah, they yeah. listen to it. Mm-hmm. And I think they left on Sunday feeling challenged. They need to do this in their home. Um, if they're if they're older, they need to to reengage their own grown children. Or, but then I think sometimes people walk out and they go have a good meal, and it's like, okay, what are the what are the next steps? And so right. obviously, I think there are people that it has been modeled to them to do this from older people when they were younger, but. How would you encourage someone that just wants to get started? Um, so in the home or in either, just discipleship? Either, either one. I so, think. so I will say that they are unique, that you have home discipleship with your children, but then you have a group of other men that you're discipling, and they are unique, but at the same time, there's a lot of bleed over. Um, it is a lot of spiritual parenting, if you want to think of it that way. So a couple of resources that have been super helpful to me, and I brought them, um, Donald S. Whitney, I mentioned him, showing it to the camera now. Um, but it's Family Worship by Donald Whitney. And again, this guy has been one of the most influential in raising up spiritually mature pastors in our seminaries. We use all of his books Amazing for guy. spiritual form. And then when I found out, I was like, well, it's because he started and practiced the, you know, what he preached at home. Um, and he's the one who says, all right, here's the three essential elements, um, scripture reading, prayer, and singing. And, I mean, it's so thin and simple, but he gives a really good help just, okay, this is like starting out. And then another one, and this is actually a relatively new book, another one is by Ken Coley and Blair Robinson. This is a um, Randall House D6 guys kind of did this. Um, Equipping Fathers to Lead Family Worship. And especially it's about how do you get dad in a place where he can just do it. And this is full of helps and tips and tricks. And it's like, hey, here's here's a, just an easy format to start with. Um, it actually has a list of nine objections that most people say, well, I can't, I can't do it because of this. And then it gives the biblical response to, no, God specifically gifted you this position by the virtue of you being dad to do it. So if you'll do it, God will empower you to do it. And so, so those are really good helps. Um, and of course, in the sermon, I gave just yeah. a quick strategy like, yeah. listen, it, it's got to almost be, for me, I just got to feel like it's idiot proof, mm-hmm. like where I can stumble my way through this and still be halfway I think I think what I loved about what you mentioned in the sermon was I, I do think it is very daunting for a dad or, or a single mom, like you yep. mentioned many times, to go from nothing or, or very little yeah. to imagining, oh, yeah. oh we're going to all get in the living room, we're going to take half an hour, we're all going to get together and do something. Um, I think that, or you've mm-hmm. tried it and yeah. it was like, it w- didn't go well. And oh, yeah. so I think what I loved about the things that you mentioned in your sermon is start off with just taking the time that you already have yeah. with your kids, no matter what age they are, and using that in, in your way of either 
discussing a verse of the day or praying with them or whatever. And so I think I think Deuteronomy six talks about a lot. Mm-hmm. Don't set up, you know, carve out this half an hour, hour window, four days a week, you know, to have your own family worship service in your living room, even though you are welcome to do that if that's what you want to do. But it's like if you're driving kids to school or if you're, you know, fixing breakfast or if you're tucking them in at night or if you're having dinner around the table, which people are doing less and less, just whatever. Whenever you are living life, incorporate Family worship into your yeah. discussion, well, and, and I are. think we have to we have to be careful, guys. That uh, you know, especially as a pastor, as pastors, and you know, and I know some maybe some other pastors listening. Uh, it, it's a tough thing, you know, to know when to turn on and when to turn off the pastor mode. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah. When when do you because the last thing. Sometimes the last thing your wife wants to be thinking about is, I live with my pastor. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't want you to be the pastor. Mm-hmm. She wants you to be her husband. She wants you to be the father of her children. But then you start off on a family devotion that just sounds like a leftover Sunday sermon. Yeah. Now we're, you know, you know now it's, it's almost like there's a pushback against that uh, in, in, in some dimensions. And you have to... You know, I think you have my, one of my favorite memories of our family devotion time, and and you know you have to be creative, mm-hmm. especially when kids are younger. Yep. But we start we we start playing this game called Bible charades, where they would you get to act out mm-hmm. a Bible story. You get to act out a character or a story in the Bible, and then everybody has to guess which story it is. And then when they guessed it, then we talk a little bit about the story yeah. and what that means. The kids got the boy. They would ask us to do it. Like, can we do Bible charades? Can we do yeah. Bible? You know, they were they were coming after us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be wiped out. And they want to do, hey, let's do, and you know, they didn't call it family devotions. They right. called it Bible charades. But you have to be, you know, you have to look at your kids and go, okay, so we're, I mean, you cannot sit down and say, okay, now we're going to do an expository reading of First no. Timothy chapter four. You know, no, you know, that, they're not going, they're not going to go with you on that. No. So you have to figure out. You know, so where are your kids? And, 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 you know, the other piece of this I was thinking about, and this is I'm throwing two different things out here, opening two screens, but, you know, the other piece of this is what do we do with people who, like, become Christians? They are now the parent of teens and preteens, mm. and suddenly here's Christian dad. Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, two weeks ago he was, you know, sitting around, you know, coming in drunk at night, you know, being mad and being angry at his family, and now all of a sudden this guy's going to preach a sermon to me? Yeah. You know, so how do we encourage that? Because that's probably not that uncommon to see, you know, transformations like that that happen, and then the guy hears the sermon and goes, okay, I'm going to do that. And yep. now the kids are sitting back going, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So so how do, you, how do you speak to that? Is that- so, um, so that was something that uh, Blair Robinson actually mentioned where, there's corporate worship, which is church. Mm-hmm. There's family worship, and then there's private worship, yeah. and the three are not the same. So, like, if you're a new convert, I mean, really, any any Christian, you start with your private worship. You start yeah. with your own private time of reading God's Word, going through um, times of prayer, like yeah. intentional prayer, yeah. and then allow that testimony and your discipline to that to be your witness to your family so that they realize, oh, Dad's actually genuine about this. Yeah. He's not just kind of 
got you know the 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 Jesus fix for you know the next couple weeks or months, and then that's it. it it's a ongoing, steady, disciplined process that's personal and it starts mm-hmm. here. Um, and then family worship should not feel like church. It shouldn't feel like okay, let, let's break out the Bible and let's preach through sermon. No, it should be like a discussion. If your kids are older, if you're if they're younger, Bible charades, uh, sock puppets. Um, any sort of goofy thing that you can do. Um, there's even uh, there's even flashcards that now uh, different publishers have made. So there's lots of extra resources out there. And the the real challenge I think will be for families where they have kids in all the different ages. So how how am I you know talking to a two year old when I also have like maybe a sixteen year old mm-hmm. in the same room? And so you may have to split your time or. Say we're going to do this one for the little kids and then incorporate the big kids in helping, but then have a special time with the older kids later. I don't really know. I haven't gotten there yet. But Well, I think one of the things you know that I would encourage someone in that situation to do, whether it was a new, a new, con- a new believer, whether it is in a family situation or in a discipleship situation, you want to be kind of just sharing what it is that God is teaching you and talking to you in your private mm-hmm. time. So I can imagine a dad that yeah. he can't be preaching a sermon to his kids two weeks after he became a Christian, but he could just be sharing from the overflow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that works when it comes to, you know, older men, discipling younger men that, again, and everyone thinks they need a book, you know, to tell them how to do it when in, ex, in actuality what you're mainly doing is you're just hopefully sharing from the overflow, which leads to why do so many people sometimes shy away from family devotions or shy away from a discipleship mm-hmm. relationship is because there is an overflow. There is an overflow. Yeah. They yeah. themselves are struggling. That's a good point. And if that's, that's you, if you're listening to this and you're like, exactly, like I can't share with my 12-year-old from the overflow because I don't have any overflow right now, well, then find someone to start mm-hmm. meeting with that you could have be held, hold account, held accountable with somebody that maybe is older than you. Yeah. Well, I would also encourage you to... To look for your teachable moments. Mm. Don't 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 move past uh, the struggles that your children are having, whatever their age group is. Whether that's peer pressure, whether that's I've got a bully at school that mm-hmm. picks on me. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. Okay, we'll talk about that and you know kind of walk through that with them. But then go, can I? You know, there's a story in the Bible about about this guy that had a big bully that was picking on him all the time, mm-hmm. and the bully's name was Goliath. You know, the young guy's name was David. Can I tell you this story? Oh, yeah. yeah. They, well, they're ready. Yeah. And now, but what you're doing, what you want to do, what we want to do with our children, you know, I, I, and I'm not against, you know, please hear me. I'm not against just reading the Bible and Bible, that, that's all good. But they've got to learn the stories. The stories. They don't know the stories. Our children don't know the stories of the Bible. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming you do. And, and, and stories are a whole lot easier to tell than mm-hmm. teaching an expository lesson out of Titus chapter 2. Teach a story. You know, where are the... Because what you're doing is you're preparing the soil in your child's mind and heart and spirit for that paradigm shift. Well, if when that paradigm shift called called conversion comes along, called salvation comes along, they're already loaded up with Bible stories. They've already mm-hmm. heard the biblical narrative of how God saved the people of Israel out of Egypt, how God created everything, how... 
what that looked like. What, what was that like? Why is that a problem now? Why is it doesn't? Why doesn't it look like that now? What happened? Mm-hmm. What, what's sin? How does sin work? What what you know? What is the problem? So we have to teach them. Mm-hmm. We don't even teach them the narrative. We just kind of walk yeah. in and go, okay, let's read the Bible. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. But if they know the stories, if they understand the storyline and the narrative of Scripture and of salvation history, then they can go, oh, well, that's about this. You know, now, oh, now they, you know, again, their minds can handle the, the you know, the, the compartments, but we have to build those for them. We have to say, here's this, here's, you know, we're going to dump this in this bucket mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about this over here. And that kind of goes in that bucket and we walk them through. We actually, what we're actually doing is kind of building a systematic theology for mm-hmm. our children. Mm-hmm. As we tell these stories, and we give them then a place to hang the truth. So what now when we read Titus, oh, well, that, yeah, this is this is talking about how to be family. This is talking about how important the family of God is and what that looks like. So you know that I, I think there's part of that is we make it a lot harder on ourselves than we need to. Oh yeah. When we try to regiment, say six o'clock, we're having family devotion. It's going to last fifteen point three minutes. You know, I mean, you can't. You know, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. do that to kids. You cannot do that. You can't because well, it's all too unpredictable. And I, and I always say to parents, like, set yourself an, an expectation that's realistic. You know, yeah. if you've never done it before, hey, just get, you know, one in maybe this month or something like yeah. that. I mean, we we aim for about one to maybe two a week, and yeah. that's it. Um, just because. Schedules are busy. We've got football practice and cheerleading and things well, like and, that. And, so. you know, and just what you said uh, about you version, which is great. I thought that, you know, the, the Bible app, you know, just, just yeah. go, hey, boom, boom, here's a verse. Let's talk about mm-hmm. it. Here's some questions. Here's a song. Let's do that. And, you know, and you've done it in five minutes. You don't have to make this a 30-minute process. Right. You know, it's just, boy, we've got five or six minutes. Okay. Well, here, here's the verb. Would you read that? You know, here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, pick the one that's old enough yep. to do that. Yeah. Read the verb. Okay. So, what do y'all think that means? And we talk, and then let Dad tell them, or mm-hmm. Mom tell them. You know, what, what version also has a uh, story <laughs> app as yeah. well, yeah, where it's, it's interactive mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And so we used to do that. Um, there's another book out there. Uh, it's Big Thoughts for Little Minds. I want to say is what it's called, and it's Wayne Grudem Systematic Theology. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Broken down into little child's, <laughs> you know, chunks. Talking about those concepts, yeah. which every time I look at that, I'm like, maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day I'll try that. I've got but, his you book know. on Christian ethics. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh my How goodness, this is so so big. But you know, any anything like that, and you know, that I see that as you know, when your kids start getting older, yeah, man, lean into some of those resources. Mm-hmm, yeah. But you know, it's it's more like start where you're at, use what you've got, and do what you can. You know. And just let it go from there. Now, I noticed in this passage, you know, there is a lot of behavior type of things mentioned, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, maybe just getting a little bit more in depth into this whole living life, you know, kind of thing mm-hmm. instead of having a Bible story for everything. But why do you think, Tit- you know, Paul spent so much time telling Titus to to make sure these age group men and women are, are teaching or talking or living out in a certain manner. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think the hinge verse is, uh, I believe, is 8, where it's so that uh, nothing evil can be said about us, an opponent cannot put us to shame. So the behavior piece is so that the world that is not Christian can't have something negative you know, to say really about Christ and about his church. Um, and so, so ultimately, I would say that's the major hinge piece in that discussion. But at the same time, you know, it, it's like you said, you know, all right, so you might be saved, but is your mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so spending time with people and just learning like, oh, I'm, 
I'm not allowed to say that anymore. Is that not okay? And a lot of times that's just, you know, kind of the way it goes. I remember um, I was in college going to this church, and there's a couple that got saved, but they weren't married yet living together. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the deacons, um, I thought it was going to turn into like one of those like, you know, point at you legalistic thing. He just went to them one evening with his wife and said, hey, we just want to explain you're new Christians. This is what Christian marriage looks like. And they were like, oh, we've, we've never even heard of this. We've never even thought of this. Yeah. And so they said, well, what do you suggest we do? And so the deacon said, well, son, why don't you come and you'll live with us. She can stay here and have her place until you guys decide that you want to get married. And so they did that for a series of months. They went through um, premarital counseling, got married, and then we had a wedding at the church because it was, it was a really cool, fun experience. But it's that willingness to really, like that's kind of how discipleship works. It's like, okay, let me teach you. And then let me kind of get in the mess of, you know, the things that it's because it's hard to make paradigm shifts. Uh, habits cling to us. And so working through stuff like that. But don't we don't we see a lot in our culture, though, that people don't like want to be called out or don't yes. want to submit themselves to do it? Or even if you're in a, re- a relationship, a, a parent to child or, or discipleship relationship, it's, you know, you, you need to read passage like passages like this to remind yourself this is this is what God wants us to do. Like, you do it in a loving way, not a judgmental mm-hmm. way. But you know, talk to your kids about things that they do that are wrong. You know, talk to your grown children about things that they're doing that are wrong. Um, talk to a younger, you know, disciplee, male or female, depending on your gender. Um, not to just point out, oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. But hey, let me let me explain to you. Let me show you how this. This would be better done. And this this is what I mean. Preaching, guys, is just reminding people of what they should already know. Right. You know, we we're, we very seldom reveal a new thing to people. They're just going, oh yeah, I should know that. You know. Yeah. And 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 again, as an older person, I'm reading, it going, yeah, I need to, that, that's. I mean, these things need to be the, the the kind of the guardrails of my life. I need to make sure that these things are are true. I spent a week last week in Atlanta, uh, being trained in a process and. One of the things that this church had done is they bought a house. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was just basically a house that belonged to these people. Uh, they ended up buying the property, a beautiful house, beautiful place, um, and it had a big kitchen in it. And what they do with the kitchen, two things. Number one, they really emphasize hospitality in this church. Okay, really push hospitality big time. And so what they do is they bring people in and show them how to cook a meal. Mm. Show them how to cook. Mm. Show them how to clean up. Uh, show them these things so that they can export these things and bring yeah. home. Now, they also provide it for people that don't have a big home and say, well, you can come here and host your you're gathering, and but this is what you do when you're here. You put this here, you do this, you sh- but you show them this. Is, and I'm thinking, okay, this is what we're not doing. You know, we're we're telling people to listen to us play piano, but we're not showing them. Now this is middle C, mm-hmm. this is F, this is what you play mm-hmm. over here. You know, we're not showing them that. And and so that you know the struggle that I think we have in church is not that people don't know they just don't know what to do they hear the words they go yeah that sounds really great they just don't know who do you show who do you bring mm-hmm. and this is what I love about Titus two is because it puts this order in place older men teach the younger guys how to do this yeah. that's your job yeah first of all live it 
Second of all, show them how to do it. How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to go to lunch with them. You're going to have yeah. to spend some, you know, drink coffee with them. You're going to have to go to their home. You're going to have to have them at your house. You're going to have to spend time pouring into their lives because, as I've said over and over again, two biggest problems with men in America is they haven't been fathered, they haven't been discipled. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, they they don't have a Christian dad, or don't even know their dad, or they haven't been discipled. Maybe they had a great dad, but they don't. They've never been discipled as a Christian, and so they're going. I mean, they're good. They're good. They're good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to do the right, but they, nobody's ever showed them how do you clean up? How do you take care of the kid? You know, nobody's ever taken them on the journey and said, let's show you how to do it, and then you go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what we have to do also. But uh, but I think what Titus is drilling into is, is this, and this is a piece I don't want to forget. Um, passing on the faith is a verbal pro. It is a teaching verbal process, but it's as equally as much a behavioral process. It's what are your kids seeing in the home? What does your wife see in the home? Mm-hmm. You know, what is your family? What do your kids see in you as a couple? Those kind of things are huge because those things are what get exploited. This is what you know. They're going to yeah. be like you, just like oh, yeah. you were talking about with Eli. Oh you yeah, know, they're going to be like you, whatever you are, mm-hmm. good or bad. They're going to imitate. Your life. You could tell them whatever you want to. You could teach them all kinds of books. But at the end of the day, they're going to go, they're gonna do I'm going to do what dad does. I'm yep. going to do what mom does. They're going to just pick that up. And that's just the, it's the nature of human beings to be imitative. You know, we're just imitators. And so we're to teach sound doctrine. Uh, the word here is literally hagias. It's, it's healthy doctrine. Be healthy and, and make sure you're teaching the right thing. But then, you know, you got to show them how to do it. Oh, yeah. I think that's huge. So that carries on into the home as well. So, do we have time for uh, some fan mail? Oh wow, yeah! If we have a fan out there, so uh, this is yeah, from our friend Jeff. Uh, he sent us an email this past week, and we're, we don't have time to get all to it, so we'll have to email back. But um, <laughs> so this was going back to I think it was two uh, episode two or maybe one, okay. where it says what ministry tools designed to work pre-pandemic do not work post-pandemic, or you found are not as effective as post-pandemic. Did we talk about that, or is he talking about that? Well, that's, no, we had, we had mentioned that in, in okay. briefly, okay. like, you know, what we have to do now you, That's a different. great question. Yeah. Uh, you know, now, and now then, I'm right, right. The and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably kind of what I'm thinking. And then he says, what has changed in the mindset yeah. of the church wow. because of post-pandemic? Yeah. And I would say, you know, kind of what we're talking about with this hospitality piece, I'd say that's hugely been affected. Mm-hmm. by the pandemic. Yeah. Um, something I've even noticed on social media this past week with Hurricane Ian is all the people commenting about pandemic PTSD, like mm-hmm. having to sit inside my house and can't go out and feeling stuck and something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's not even that people don't want just simply to go in their house. I don't know that people want to be in their own homes as much right, as they were. Right, right, right. Yeah. So. I remember the, that episode we were talking a lot about just um, there was uh, some stagnant growth that took place during that time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not having certain things in terms of just maturing. And, and we've talked a lot today about maturing in the faith, um, but I think some of the things that we saw through the pandemic and now post-pandemic is that, uh, you know, there was there was a hold on a lot of growth in a lot of areas. And some of those things we've seen come to light in, in counseling and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But other things people have just not dealt with yeah. Um, yeah. and so 
you know, I, I think answering his, you know, his question, um, what, what types of things that, yes, I, I see hospitality and, and hosting things. I think just in general, um, being vulnerable well, and well, being people, honest. You know, people don't go anywhere anymore. No, no. They don't come to church. No. But they don't go to movie theaters. They don't. They don't. Yeah, you can stream it now. You know, there are people that are just like you're saying. They're just locked up at home, boarded up, and just stay there, and afraid to get out. Afraid to hate that they're there. Hate want to get out. Mm -hmm. Afraid to get out. You know, I've talked to people who are just terrified about about leaving home. They're just absolutely. I've talked to them. I know they're out there. Yeah, and fear fear is definitely a bigger factor now. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I just think through the amount of people who. They say things like, "Oh, I, I'm I'm coming back to church, but you know I watch you every Sunday." Yeah. And of course, yeah. like, okay, <laughs> yeah. that you watch every Sunday. Yeah. I, I just feel like, I don't know, like it, there there was it's more than just the pandemic. We had that political cycle oh, over sure. top of sure. that pandemic, and in general, I don't know. I feel that, I don't know if this answers the question, but I feel like there's maybe even a more of a hostility Thank towards well, the church. That, and you know, here's the thing. I think that there's nothing new. We're not dealing with anything new. Yeah. I think all that's happened in the pandemic is that all the other things mm-hmm. on the other side of the pandemic, uh, the rise of social media in the church, yeah. the, the the people isolating themselves more and more, the hostility against the church, uh, even even our kind of our our molding in with political issues. Those things were all in play before the pandemic. The pandemic just like hyper accelerated. Mm-hmm. And then so we come out on the other side, and these things are like, you know, 20 years advanced now. You know, I mean, there's just like they, if we had just had a normal 20-year cycle, that's where these things would have been. But now they're, they're present with us, and they're, yeah. they're realities for us. So, yeah. yeah. So, so as, I, as I said, I think I might have said that in that podcast. My, my library is now useless. I have, you know, <laughs> uh, you guys got to take all the books you want. Cause <laughs> I, I mean, they're pretty much... Uh, written pre-pandemic so they mean nothing really i mean it's just like almost that's true it's just like anymore yeah so i think what we need to do is we need to emphasize as all believers you know just being transparent and real Mm -hmm. with where we are where our struggles are and being Mm -hmm. you know calling other believers brothers and sisters in christ out um in areas where they they are struggling maybe they know it Mm -hmm. encouraging maybe they don't know it maybe they need an older brother or an older sister to, to pull them aside and, and say, hey, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, but the way that you were talking to that other person, the way that you reacted, it was probably not, you know, the best way to do that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and you called this out in the message, and I thought it was good. Um, Paul emphasizes us, mm-hmm. you know, so that they don't speak badly about us. us. And, and here's what we don't always notice in the New Testament, but we need to emphasize. It, we're ne- the Christian, Christians are never referred to as you yeah. individually. It's always you as a body, we as a body, us as a body. Not Christianity is not an individualized process. It is a community process. It's a family. Mm-hmm. We are a family. You are my brothers. Mm-hmm. That literally is not a, that's not a spiritual title. I mean, that's reality. You are my brother's. Uh, in fact, I asked myself this the other day about a situation that I was asked to step into, and I thought, I'm not going to do that. And here's the thought that occurred to me. If that was your brother Mark, would you do that? Of course. Of course. Yes, yeah, my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's your brother. 
Yep. And man, I mean, she was like, oh. Yeah, church is family. Yeah, and and it's and it's exactly what I mean. If we would just start taking that seriously, it would change the way we behave. Just because, oh, well, I wouldn't treat my brother that way. I love my brother Mark. I wouldn't do anything like that to him. But we, you know, we'll cut somebody else to pieces, you know. But if that was really our brother, we wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Really, our sister. So, mm-hmm. anyway. mm-hmm. God calls us to be an example. You know, to the to the world, not that we are trying to be people pleasers, but just that we conduct our lives in such a way that anyone that does spend time with us sees a difference. And I think that's where we started this episode, and where we, I guess, we're wrapping it up is, you know, are you the same person in the home that you are out in public? Are you willing to let people in and 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 see? You, the real you, who you really are. Because what Paul is encouraging Titus to do is he's saying, hey, allow these older men and women to have an impact on the younger ones. And the way you do that isn't by having a Bible study with them necessarily. It's it's by sharing life with them. Mm -hmm. So how do we share our life with our our kids? How do we share our lives with our grandkids or our grown children? And and how can we have discipleship relationships? I think the pandemic has, again, it's made that harder mm-hmm. um, for people to w- be willing to open up. But I think it's what Christ wants us to do. Okay. Well, I believe that wraps us up for today, guys. Thank you all. Appreciate you being along again as we walk through this time. And uh, looking forward to continuing our conversation about Titus in the weeks ahead. So I bless you all. Thank you all for watching today. And uh, we look forward to seeing you the next time. God bless you.